enemy is upon us. It's time to dig in, to stand our ground, and watch for the next attack. You're in the Fox with Jason Mark. Hey, hey, welcome back to the Foxhole, where we stand our ground and watch for the enemy's next move. Uh, what is today? Today is the 16th of November, 2023, and I am joined in the Foxhole by Handy. So, Handy, I know some people know who you are, but for those who don't, let us know who you are. Hello, everyone. Hey, I am a uh, paramedic here in Atlanta, Georgia. So, um, me, and, me and Jason Barker go way back in the military. So uh, he's he's asked me to uh, come on a few times, and I've had a lot of fun. So looking forward to tonight, Jason. Nice, nice. And uh, tonight, I, I was actually going to do a show with uh, Angry Tiger on finances tonight, because a lot of the stuff that we kind of were predicting, um, well, it's not even prediction. It's just looking at the logical end state of what you're doing. It's, it's coming to fruition right now. So he was going to come on and talk about that. But uh, I got a call, not a call, it was a, a text message from my mom was it two days ago and she said her farm got hit with the uh, the bird flu and now they got to come kill all her birds and uh i know you got some experience with birds like uh we, we dealt with the the laying situation you want to tell us a little bit about that and what the, what the <clears throat> that? yeah sure so um september of let's see it's been a little over a year now that i've had uh quail so um, the reason I ended up with quail was we had a city ordinance here in where I live and uh, we couldn't have chickens. So um, I went with the next best thing, went with quail. They kind of fit through a loophole. They didn't name them specifically and they didn't make the ban as big as just general poultry. So um, so I threaded the needle and got some quail. And uh, so I've been experimenting with, um, you know, different feeds and, uh, you know, different... Um, you know, just different things with, with these birds. You know, I've never had any farming experience. So um, interestingly enough, right after I got these birds, um, there happened to be this uh, big nationwide um, conspiracy theory, I guess, about about the, the, uh, the feed, some of the feeds causing the birds not to lay eggs. And I did experience some of that. Jason, right. can you still hear me? Uh, yeah, but your mic went out. You might want to unplug it and plug it back in. But um, yeah, so I, I thought I'd bring you on to talk about this. This is kind of a last minute thing I put together with the bird flu. Um, and we might talk about the egg laying situation as well. But to, to kind of go back, uh, back to February of this year, I did an article on Substack when we had the, the egg laying shortage, uh, such as Andy was talking about. And then we also had the massive culling of millions and millions of birds, which, you know, led to some economic problems. And I was kind of calling BS on it because you get one positive test and you kill 5 million, 6 million birds. To me, that's kind of a made up disaster. Um, and here's the article. I'll bring it on, on screen. Yeah. It was war on our foods part two shortly after I started this sub stack. And you can see, if you go through here, you'll see all the numbers I broke down and I put some cool pictures in here and stuff. Um, but basically, uh, and there's all the sources there at the bottom, but basically what I, what I thought was that, um, I thought it was kind of BS. I thought it was like, then do we even really know if this bird flu actually exists? Um, and that was my premise there. And I, I used 
just sources from online and it didn't smell right. But then when mom gets a hold of me a couple days ago and says she actually had birds dying, she told me about the symptoms. They were forced to self-report and then they had to come out and kill their entire flock. Every everything. She's got turkeys, chickens, guinea. I think she might have a couple ducks running around, but they got to kill all of them. Um, they get compensated, of course, which we'll get into into how that actually helps the big growers, not necessarily the farmers, but the big growers, which is why it's allowed to go on, I believe. And then they can't grow any, uh, you know, bring any more birds on for, uh, what was it? I think it's like 180 days or something like that. I got it written down here, 120 days. And, you know, easily enough, the only, the only decon they got to do is Clorox and water. It's going to spray their barn down with Clorox and water. And that's the, the massive fix for this, uh, horrible outbreak that's going to cost us all a lot of money at the grocery store and um there you go supply and demand so anyway i thought what i would start with was look at um a history of bird flu because you know after talking to dr laguardia about some other medical stuff here i've done like three four interviews with him and we talk about pathogens and it doesn't really make sense for a pathogen to modify itself or mutate if you will and become more deadly is who wants to kill where they live it, it typically uh becomes less deadly but more transmissible so that it can multiply and then not kill its host and uh, i think you would agree with that right handy that that is that is correct that's what we typically see with most pathogens um if the pathogen kills its host it, it ceases to uh exist itself so it's in the pathogen's best interest to uh coexist yeah, Karen's jumped in. She said quail eggs are supposed to be extra good for us. Yes, Karen, they are, but you got to have like 50 of them to make an omelet. I'm just <laughs> my, my mom, oh yeah, my mom was also raising quail. Uh, my aunt and uncle down here in Springfield, Missouri, uh, they raised quail, and I've got to go down there a couple times, and they made me an omelet with like, you know, 20 eggs. <laughs> but they're, they're really good for you, and there's something in their shells as well. Um, they make some kind of medication out of their eggshell. I, that I i'm remember. not aware of yeah it was something i seen advertised and it's only from quail from a certain region of the somewhere in europe and uh they feed them something and it comes out in their eggshell and they crunch them up make some kind of like antioxidant or something out of them um karen says are there bird killing crews that come out yes there are karen how do they kill them and dispose of them i'm going to talk about the you know how they dispose of them here in a minute because that's the part when i reported in february that made absolutely no sense to me. And I, there your camera's working now, Handy. Um, I talked to my mom about it today and she explained to me what they told her. And that still kind of makes sense, but not really. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. Hopefully if I remember to get to it. But um, was that two, two minute egg with broken up toast? There you go, John. Yeah, cook them up real quick. We got a lot of people. Let me do shout outs before we even actually jump into it. We got uh first viewer in the chat handy. Levi jumped in. Karen Carpenter's in there. What's up, Karen? Great job on, on Nights of the Storm. Two weeks in a row. And I think you might be coming on, what, next week or, or soon again, right? Um, Chris is in there. Chris Graves, the Mastodon of Research. We got Little John's in the house. Uh, Brian Taylor jumped in. Hey, Brian, good to see you. And that's who we got for now in the Rumble chat. Um, so, yeah, do like Karen did. If you have a question, type it in big, bold. Um, all caps, and I'll try to keep an eye on it. 
But anyway, to get back on track, I wanted to look at this because it just didn't make sense to me. Like I said, a pathogen doesn't typically in nature um, become more deadly. It becomes more transmissible. But for some reason, this bird flu, uh, and, and I talked to my mom about this because my mom's, you know, of course, a lot older than I am. And she's been into the farming and stuff for a long time. I said, is this something that's new or is this something that's been going around? And now it's just because we have these massive farms, it's spreading more. She said that you never heard of these, this massive bird. I mean, bird flu has been around, but it hasn't been like an epidemic like it is now. And what we're experiencing this year, and I'm surprised the media is not talking about it, but it's an extension of last year. It's almost smells like COVID where it just is not going to ever go away. And that's not how a pathogen works. The pathogen should not do that. It should become what's called endemic. Now you can blame that on, because if you look at it, it tends to survive in wild or the, the wild birds tend to survive. They're more uh, robust against it. And so they become carriers. In fact, my mom told me the ducks can carry it and it doesn't bother them at all, which is kind of bad because ducks like to fly. They like to migrate, you know, um, but it's, it seems to be the, the produce style poultry, like chickens and turkeys that they're just massively wiped out by this. And so I could lean on the side of saying, well, maybe we've bred these things to be less robust because we want bigger breasts and bigger eggs. And we, we don't necessarily care about the survivability of the animal. Uh, so maybe they're weaker, maybe their immune systems are weaker. Maybe that's the problem. Or this virus is just for some reason becoming massively um, deadly when in nature it should become less deadly. So I don't know. What are your thoughts on that, Andy? It seems to be the only two options to me, you know? Well, in, in some of these, like the meat birds, um, I know they grow them to, or they breed them specifically to grow very fast and mm -hmm. they don't really, uh, they keep them in high density housing really. So you've got that as also a factor. Uh, Brian's asking, is it more fake BS? Also, the more I look into terrain theory, the more skeptical I am to the real cause of pathogens slash sickness. That's a good question, Brian. And I was kind of thinking when I wrote my article in February that it might have been BS, that it might have been overplayed, kind of like kind of like with COVID. You get a lot of positive tests and you put a, a lot of people on the on the protocol and they become sick and they they die. And the protocol here for birds is you kill 100% of them. You kill all of them. So, and you will we, see, I have some charts here that show birds affected. Um, birds affected does not equal birds infected. It means birds that they've had to kill. So if you got one bird that tests positive, and that was the kind of the case I was looking at in February, one bird test positive wasn't even necessarily sick yet. And they killed six point something million birds. So they're going to say, you know, it's going to look like 6 million birds were infected with bird flu and that wasn't the case. And, and I would argue, um, if you're looking at like a survival of the fittest type thing, that why did you have to kill 100% of the birds? Because their own data says that you can still eat the meat as long as it's cooked properly. Um, you can still eat the eggs. Uh, it's not going to make you sick. We have one reported case right now of someone who's sick from dealing with these, these birds that they killed off one case in Colorado and it was like mild nausea, like really mild symptoms got right over it. So it's not really a health concern when it comes to these birds, as far as coming to humans. So I don't understand why they feel the need to kill off all the birds when you could just let the ones die off that are weak and then breed the ones that survive 
and through controlled breeding build a resilient bird that then now it's just an endemic thing you know um i mean does that make sense to you andy it, it, that well, i guess my question way. my question on that would be do they allow um i mean is it a true question i don't know do they even allow the meat birds to breed or is this something that um i mean i know they got to get the eggs uh, somewhere but I, I don't think they do. I think there's breeding places and most people, mm -hmm. and this is where we really fall into the trap. If, if you do have a farm and let's say you didn't call, uh, it's not the CDC, it'd probably be the FDA or whoever. Um, it, it's somebody with your state, but I think they're affiliated with the FDA. You call, if you didn't call them and say, Hey, you have a problem here and they come wipe your birds out. You just lost 50%, 50 uh, of your birds, but the others survived. Then you breed those. Uh, but that's not how they do it in these factory things. They they use the birds for what they're used for, and then they're done with them, and then they order more. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like cloning. You're getting the exact same thing you just had. Uh, and, you know, that's that's how I understand it to happen. I know my my uh, my mom gets peeps through the mail. You can go down to the tractor supply store. You can get the peeps. You can actually have them mailed to you, which blows my mind that you could put a live animal in a box and mail it. <laughs> that's that's crazy <laughs> but they they do it that's kind of crazy mm -hmm. but um anyway so, yeah i don't think it is bs i think it's actually out there but i'm going to question whether it's a natural phenomenon or not or whether it was uh you know to to use the the what is it the uh the covid thing is escaped from a lab i mm -hmm. i really think by looking at my research i think that's what happened i don't think it was necessarily intentional but um I don't think this strain of bird flu, which is the H5N5 strain, it's not the same as the bird flu that's in human, not the H1N1. This is specifically for birds. Um, mm -hmm. There's no reason that this should be out there in the wild. So, and let's go, let's really quickly go to the history of, of bird flu. Mm -hmm. All right. So, and I won't even get to all these tabs, but I'm in the, in the process of an article. So you see a lot of stuff up here that I'm not even going to talk about tonight because I want to dig through it it's a lot of reading to do and i've only had two days to look at it so all right so we've known about the bird flu since the 1800s and that was annotated in my in my article as well um but 1800s uh it wasn't really a problem and this is where i'm really starting to think uh it wasn't a major problem until what 1957 an h2n2 virus it emerged in uh in people so this is where it went to people First time it went to people and it triggered a pandemic. What happened prior to 1957? You know, because you figure this virus has got to be mutating for millions of years if you believe in evolution, right? Why is it just right after 57 it becomes something that can jump to a human? I don't know. What happened prior to 57, uh, Andy? What, what can we think of that might have helped it along? Ooh, prior to 57? Yeah, I think of the 40s. 1942 you know <laughs> yeah yeah we got the war biological warfare yeah. we started playing around with biological warfare and if you think about it we've had things like the bubonic plague and things that they come and go um again <clears throat> pathogens they explode our bodies can't deal with it whether it be animal or human bodies can't deal with it there's a massive die-off and as david knight likes to talk about the fars fars law or whatever the the bell-shaped curve um there comes a point when the pathogen it's got it mutates into something that's more transmissible less deadly and then it becomes endemic where we live with it but that has not happened and we've seen it recently ever since 
we started playing around with bugs in the lab. We've got swine flu. We got bird flu. Uh, we got a new, we got a new African swine flu that they're worried about. Zero cases in the U.S., but they're already talking about vaccinating meat for it. Zero cases in the U.S. Uh, they're going to play it like it's a threat to humans, even though it can't transmit to humans. The There's no danger. And it's not even a safety. I was reading up on it. And I think I got a, I got an article on it here. Like I said, I got a lot of research up. But I was reading, um, it's not even a, a food safety concern. So what are they concerned about? You know, uh, if the pigs die off, they die off. And then it, the natural process takes place. And then the virus becomes less deadly and it becomes endemic. And then it's not a problem anymore. But they're already jumping on the vaccine bandwagon because they want to put something in your my my tinfoil hat says they want to put something in your food and they're mm -hmm. looking at it every which way they can. And now this bird flu, that's where I'm kind of going with it. Um, like I said, if it whether it's a natural phenomenon or whether it was something that that was accidentally released and now it's a problem, they're already looking at doing vaccines. So, well, that's the only approved treatment for anything anymore is vaccines. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm trying to uh, determine, I got to do some more research on these four vaccines they're looking at for bird flu. Uh, I'm trying to do some research on it to find out if they're mRNA based, because we already know they're doing that with cattle. We did uh, a report on, there was a debunk article where someone in Australia claimed that they were injecting mRNA into cows and the cows were falling over dead. <clears throat> and um, it might have been Harps or somebody that brought that to my attention. And I looked at it. And okay, this is obviously some crazy people. It's been debunked. Well, I go through the debunk article. Every single claim they made was true, except the cows weren't immediately falling over dead. You know, it might be a week. It might be two weeks. But the, a lot of the cattle they injected were dying. Mm -hmm. And they say that they can inject them with this. Uh, you know, they first off, they say they're not injecting them with it. Um, but then they say, but it's safe within 72 hours if they had injected. It's like, come on, man. Well, it's, remember, remember when we were the test subjects, it was two weeks after yeah. your final shot of your vaccine series before you were actually vaccinated. Yeah. But anyway, it, it turns out that they are putting mRNA vaccines in the beef in Australia. Uh, I don't think all places are, but uh, they were at least experimenting with it. We proved it. Um, the debunk article itself, that's the great thing about them. If you, nobody, they read the headline, they read the first, uh, read the first paragraph, but nobody reads further down. They typically do cite their sources. And if you go to their sources, their sources will say that, no, this is, this is what's happening, but they'll pick one thing in that claim and say that the whole thing is garbage, you know? Mm -hmm. And that was the, the thing with that one, all of their sources said, yeah, they've been, um, you know, MRNA and these cows up. And yeah, some cows are dying and, you know, a week or two later, not all of them die, but a lot of them die. And it's kind of experimental right now. Uh, but they debunked the entire article saying it was all garbage. But they're already doing it. I think that that's where they're going to go with this, with the bird flu thing. The bird flu thing is a real thing. My mom says it firsthand. Uh, and I'll talk about, let me let me bring a couple, a couple people I want to give shout outs to here. Um, so this time around, I actually talked to people people that deal with this and i'm going to bring this guy up here uh if you don't follow this guy on um on twitter you might want to he's into homesteading homeschooling uh bees chickens stuff like that but i talked to him back and forth today and um he he was giving me some pretty pretty good information about uh 
in the past, they were already looking to vaccinate chickens. And I wish I had had all the information. One of these days, maybe I can get them on to talk about it. But we weren't allowed to vaccinate our poultry because other countries wouldn't buy it from us. So, you know, this is a perfect thing, especially after um, COVID, when the world is used to mass vaccinations now and then worrying about our food and things like that. Um, this is a great time to try to bring that back out again. And then maybe we can go ahead and jab up these chickens with whatever we want and then sell them to the world. And, you know, we know if, if Gates is involved, it's going to have mRNA in it. So, and then I talked to this other guy and this guy's an actual personal friend of mine. Um, I've been down to his farm before he lives not far from me. His name's Travis. He's, he's in the military still, I believe, uh, fixing to retire here soon, but he has a place called freedom farms down South of Fort Leonard Wood. And he does all these YouTube videos, real successful YouTube account. And just, uh, he's just into homesteading and showing how to do different things, how to spread manure, how to build a barn. I mean, all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, and, uh, he does what he does all these little, these little sheep or whatever. And, uh, really cool dude. But I call, I, I talked to him this morning as well and he hasn't been affected by it at all. And he thinks it's all BS, uh, the whole egg laying shortage. He didn't buy into that because, um, you know, he was still seeing them in the stores, but, uh, they were still in the stores. They just cost more, you know, and I'm sure he gets his own eggs. So I don't know if he knows the, the, the cost of what it, it costs people who don't have their own chickens. But I think he's right. I think a lot of it is BS. I think a lot of it's hype, but it is real at the same time. You know what I'm saying? Uh -huh. um, and then, yeah, that's the two guys I talked to today. And then, of course, my mom. So anyway, I've come to the conclusion that it's real. Um, let me show you how serious it is this year. We've got some maps up. This is from the CDC. So these are counties affected. Now, affected... Uh, this is where they've detected them in wild birds. Okay. And you can see, you know, it's not a lot like Wyoming. They found, and I don't know how they detect these things. If they find a dead bird on the ground or if they have certain birds tagged and they check them, I'm not sure how they, how they do it. Um, but you know, they break it down. I, I'm sure I could find if I dig in here further, how they actually do the research, but it's not a lot, you know, like, uh, this County Free, Fremont and Wyoming, huge county, 15 birds detected, you know, uh, 20 birds detected in this county in Arizona, which is like freaking a good portion of Arizona. It's not a lot. And it's a total in the U.S. of 7,500 birds, um, 50 jurisdictions, 1,000 counties. So that's where they've detected bird flu in the wild, which, you know, keep in mind, it doesn't necessarily kill these birds. They're just transmitting it from place to place as they migrate uh south for the winter and then we look at this map and this is uh counties affected um of, of outbreaks right and you can see one outbreak block size 90 uh one outbreak flock size 30 and we take a look the birds affected are 62 million now that looks really shocking right and this is what my my article was on um in February was you got 62.7, you know, that's almost 63 million birds. And you're thinking to yourself with that huge number, that's a lot of bird flu going on up there. That's a lot. That's serious, right? Now, this is birds affected. This is ones they killed, you know, 
Um, like I said, there was a, a story. One of the stories I talked in the article on was, you know, like 6 million birds or something like that. They had one positive test and, you know, understand that these not, they didn't necessarily keel over dead. These big manufacturers, not backyard growers, but the big manufacturers there, they have to come in and get inspected every so often. So they have a veterinarian or whatever, come out and they'll test a couple birds or whatever. It's like, Oh God, we got a positive case here. You got to kill 6 million birds. So now, you know, the general public's under the impression that 6 million birds come down with bird flu and they all died. And that's not really the case. They were killed or cold. So I don't know. What do you think about that? Does it, it sound a little bit like COVID to you, Handy? Well, <clears throat> the method sounds a lot like COVID. And what yeah. really concerns me is what we were talking about backstage with um, the progression into our own little pods where we'll be high density living yeah. amongst each other and then let's say let's say you test positive for covid well i don't want to be cold because you tested positive yeah well it's the uh the deaths are from the protocol in the case of the birds mm -hmm. the well, protocol the, is kill 100 percent of the birds and covid a lot of in 2020 at least and well it behind the, the walls of the hospitals i know from talking to some of the uh the uh, we have some employees that work both ambulance and hospital jobs and uh, i talked to some of those and the protocols at least at our local hospitals was a positive test got you a five-day remdesivir stay so every day they would come in and infuse you with remdesivir that was five days of it how many and, people you think died from that man that's hard to say i can say this whatever you know that death count is we didn't see it on the road so it happened behind the walls of those hospitals i was getting sent home i was like that nurse remember the nurse david interviewed the the mm -hmm. pandemic nurse pandemic nurse yeah yeah i experienced exactly the same thing here in atlanta um i would go into work and um we would have ambulances sitting in the parking lot staffed with crews but you know, we would have 15 ambulances in service and no calls, you know, and the, and the ERs, you know, they might have 10 to 15 patients in a 60 bed ER, which is, you know, that's to be expected. Emergencies still happen. But, um, you know, there was, <clears throat> you know, one of the things that I can draw from memory, I saw this with my own two eyes, you know, there was a elderly gentleman getting ready to go home. And the doctor came in and told him, I'm sorry, you tested positive for COVID. We got to, we got to admit you. And I know for a fact that man went on that remdesivir protocol. He didn't know any better. His family didn't know any better. You know, he was actually joking about, <laughs> they were joking about stopping at a strip club on the way home. The man was 80. So he's joking <laughs> with his son. Good about for him. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but the point is, the doctor, he was feeling well enough. He was happy that he was going home. The doctor comes in and said, oh, I'm sorry. You tested. You know, you're, you're positive test. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know, man. I hope the man survived. I, I don't know. I don't know who it was. I just saw it. I witnessed that conversation. Yeah, that's sad. And, and that's, I, you know, I'm looking at this and I'm trying to make a case for, uh, and my initial thinking on this was, okay, so this bird flu is a real thing. Um, I learned then that this wasn't a new outbreak. It's kind of a rollover from last year where it never kind of quite went away. Um, maybe because global warming made it a milder winter. I don't know. 
<laughs> you know, we, can, we can tie it all together, right? Let's tie it all together for the agenda. But um, anyway, what I, what I started finding out was that, like I said, the birds affected, i.e. the birds in the wild that they find, it's, I mean, how many millions and billions of birds are in a state? <laughs> you know, think Man, about it. I don't, I don't even know how to begin. And you're, you're talking about, um, I got one, one positive case here, you know, and then, you know, then you get one positive case. Now, is it real? Yes. I know for a fact it's real. Is it to the scale that they say it is? I don't think so. I think if you got a small flock that gets infected, you're going to lose quite a bit of your, your, um, flock or whatever. I don't think killing them all off is necessarily the right thing to do because all the documentation says that the food is still safe to eat. Just like, I mean, if they say cook it all the way, I mean, you got to do that anyway. So you don't get salmonella, you know, I mean, could bird flu really be as benign as salmonella? Honestly, if, if we just let it play its course out and stop resetting, resetting it to square one by killing all the birds that could develop an immunity. I mean, why does it, why does it not kill the birds in the wild? Well, I'll tell you, the, the symptoms of salmonella and flu overlap, a lot of them. Yeah. I'm just saying, if, if the birds in the wild are able to carry it and not, you know, some of them will die, but it's not like massive die-off. Um, maybe we're doing it wrong in the farming, the way we farm. Uh, maybe we should just let them die off and let the rest remain and breed those. That's what would happen in the wild. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't I don't subscribe to evolution. But I do to the survival of the fittest. Um, that's been proven in our not our lifetimes, but in modern times. In in England, they had uh, what's called the peppered moth, and this was a, a case study we learned in school. If anyone paid attention in school uh, when they were teaching Darwinism, so <clears throat> around the time of the Industrial Revolution, uh, when it first started, there was a, I forget what kind of tree it was, but it had a lighter colored bark, and there was this this moth called the peppered moth. And it was typically like a whitish color with black specks. And then as time goes on, you fast forward, they're burning coal they're burning, you know, they burn a lot of stuff and these trees start darkening from the pollution. And that makes those white moths easy to spot for the birds. So they would pick them off. But then the ones that were naturally born a little darker because it was a slow progression, they survived because they blended in better with the tree bark. And they, you know, breeded and then so, you know, fast forward 30 years, 20 years, whatever it was. And now the peppered moth was no longer white with black spots. It was more like a dark gray with lighter color spots. Now, did the moth that, know to do that? No. I call that adaptation. Yeah, it's it's a natural adaptation. It does not evolution now. It didn't become a butterfly or it didn't become a dinosaur. Correct. Just, the, gene, the genes were already in the moth to be that yeah. color. It just was brought out. Yeah, it's almost like if, uh, you know, if redheaded people were four times as strong and we were living in an age of like dinosaurs and wildcats and stuff, most likely most people would be redheaded, you know, in 100 years because those mm -hmm. people would survive. And uh, it doesn't mean that I became something outside of a homo sapien. You know, it's just that those genes are, you know, what what's in the pool now. But anyway, I, I, going back to what I was saying was, I think that the protocol we have now is actually perpetuating this thing to continue on. And it's perfect if you're pushing a vaccine agenda. It really is because they are pushing a vaccine agenda. So mm -hmm. let's take a look and see what we got in the chat. Hey, Audi jumped in. What's Audi? What's Audi? Audi up. Uh, matter of fact, this is a good time. I want to talk about Audi real quick. Uh, what did we do last night with Audi? Andy, go ahead and tell the people. 
Yeah, we had a uh, we had an interview. I don't know how long it's going to run. It was right about an hour for us. Um, but me and uh, me and Audi and Jason um, got together and and we had man, we had a great conversation. Man, it flowed great. It um, when when's that going to air, Jason? Do you know? Um, it's going to be uh, Saturday the twenty fifth at three p.m. Eastern. And real quick, I'm going to play his commercial so I can gather my thoughts because, like I said, I got way too much information presented on got in my head for this article and i want to you know we're, we're limited on time heck we're already less than half hour left so i got to get it together but let me play his commercial while i get my thoughts together and then i'm going to show you his website so here we go new music classic artists that's how we do it here at modern retro radio Lenny Kravitz has just released his 11th studio album. Here is the ever-enduring pop genius Beck. Giving you the latest from Sheryl Crow. Lindsey Buckingham. Marilyn Manson. This is Garbage, a song called Blood for Poppies. Robert Crane's channeling Al Green. Better known as Shaka Brand new music from Parliament Funkadelic. Back in the 1980s and 1990s, we knew him as Terrence Trent Darby. This is Taylor Dane. You know, you know that group, Blue uh, Fighters? I am vaguely it. familiar with them, yeah. The new album from Slash, Phil Collins, covers the four tops. Metallica's 2016 double album, Hardwired to Self-Destruct. Here we got Aerosmith with Beyond Beautiful. All right, so that this is the his website, Modern Retro Radio. It's modernretrofm.com. It's basically, you know, artists you love, and it's a lot of their newer stuff that you maybe never heard of, or even some of their older stuff that uh, wasn't overplayed on the radio, so you may have never even heard that song if you didn't own the album. So really good website. I listen to this when I'm uh, doing show prep. Um, usually I get up pretty early on a Saturday before Nights of Storm, and I'll turn this on while I'm getting all my tabs open and stuff, so it's great. Great to listen to. But again, that's going to be uh, the interview will be live Saturday, 25th of this month at 3 p.m. Eastern. But anyway, let's go back to what we we're talking about here. Um, I didn't see anybody else new come in there. Chris is cracking me up. He heard <laughs> blondes have more fun. Yeah, I just maybe, you know, I know redheads have a lot of fun. So being one myself. So one one thing that um, I was talking about was, you know, it doesn't make sense to me. This would be become more deadly, more deadly, more deadly because the the FARS law or whatever it is, I think I'm quoting the right law, where you have this big explosion, a whole lot of death, and then it tapers down and then it becomes endemic. That is the natural flow. So is that because we're playing with something in a lab and, and we created something that's worse? Or is it because of the way we're farming? That I don't know. But I do know they're starting to try these vaccines out. And I'm going to show this to you. Remember, I told you the um, the fellow over here. What's his name? K K and B uh, Max. Let me pull up this guy right here. K and B Mac. We had a good conversation on it, and he said they've tried this in the past. Um, they've tried to vaccinate, but it wasn't accepted worldwide. So we would have we basically kill our industry for what we ship overseas. But now it's being revived because of this new pandemic uh, of influenza, which doesn't really pose a threat to humans. You know, keep in mind, this is not the H1N1 that we were worried about and had to rush a vaccine out that I had to take in the military. Did you have to take that when you were in or did you miss that, Andy? I missed that one. But I'll be well, I tried to go to Kuwait in 2009 
and for a contract job. And they gave me a series of, I've got the card somewhere. I can probably pull Anthrax. it out. Oh, maybe, man. I, I had a series. Yeah. I had several things a whole week long. Um, and then in the, in the end, I had an identity thief and I couldn't go anyway. So ah. all for nothing. Yeah. So, um, so th th they're looking at the H5N1, H5N3. I mean, these, these are not vaccines. Initially, I thought this was vaccines for people. But no, they're looking at actually shooting the birds up, which I'd hate to have that job. These places, like, how do you how do you keep track of which one's shot? You know, all I see is bobbling heads everywhere, you know? Well, I, I looked into that today, Jason, and, and yeah. one of the accepted methods is aerosolizing uh, the vaccine. I was going to get to that. I was mm -hmm. going to get to that because no. that ties into where I think if I was to go along the theory that this is this is actually I'm not going to say that this is not occurring. All right. But I don't think it occurred in nature. I think we did it in that exact method right there. And I think it was accidentally done because if it was done on purpose, these vaccines would have been ready before this happened. That's just the way the government works. Right. Mm. And then here we go. You know, U.S. government's testing avian flu vaccine for birds. Um, but ending the historic outbreak outbreak is not that simple. Um Again, you can read through this. I'm going to do some more reading on it, but there's four candidates. Wow, that sounds familiar. Uh, I'm 50%. I'm 75%. I'm 80%. I'm 80.1%. That's where they're going to go with it, right? And uh, I, I need to do a little more research to find out what kind of vaccines these are. Because I'm going to say right now, if they are an mRNA vaccine, then this is part of the plan. And it is very COVID-related. And to your point, aerosolizing. Uh, let's see if I can find this. Here we go. I ran across this for a complete different story. And actually, it's not this one. Right here. This is when I was researching Event 201. And this is some serious stuff right here. So during Event 201, this uh, warning letter was released from Johns Hopkins. It's a commentary piece, but it's from Johns Hopkins, which is incidentally who, who was hosting Event 201 at the time. Federal government gives a parent green light to experiments that aim to create airborne versions of bird flu. Exactly what you were saying. Aerosolize, right? Mm -hmm. You're talking about aerosolizing a vaccine. They're talking about aerosolizing bird flu. Now, I think this was aerosolizing the human version of bird flu. Um, but as we've already seen, they can easily play with it and get it to jump. I mean, they played with it to get it to jump to humans. It never was infected humans before, before they got played with it in the lab and then was able to infect ferrets. So the idea of a human bird flu was actually something that was done in a lab, not in nature. So could it have happened in nature? Maybe. But when you're in a controlled environment, and it takes you multiple generations of this thing trying to get it to mutate before you can finally get it to work in a ferret. I don't see it jumping from a chicken to a person. And they were also, I'll see if I can find that article. <clears throat> All right. While you're doing that, it is got, right here. All right. <laughs> no, go ahead. We got go Geesebusters. We got Geesebusters in the house. Angry Tiger. What's up, Tiger? Geesebusters. What's up? Good to see you, Tiger and Geesebusters. Hey, Geesebusters. Make sure you're testing them geese for uh, bird flu before you shoo them off. You don't want to be part of the problem, brother. <laughs> maybe, maybe you need to, to cull them out, you know? <laughs> um, 
anyway, this is what I found interesting. Uh, so th this goes back, and it's also from, from Hopkins. Um, so they had a 2014-2015 flu season, blah, blah, blah. They started playing around with gain of function, okay? And they put a moratorium on it where you can't do any more gain of function, which you heard Fauci saying, you know, we don't do gain of function. We don't do a gain of function. BS. That's BS because the warning letter from Johns Hopkins tells us, tells us they were playing with aerosolizing bird flu in two labs, not one, but two <clears> labs <throat> here in the U.S. And that was during, uh, it was issued in 2019. I'm not sure. I think they did the research from 2017 onward. And this one here, this one here tells us that there was a, uh, here we go. The moratorium was lifted in 2017 with the impl implementation of new guidelines specifying research that increases transmission, blah, blah, blah. They basically said it, ha it just has to be carefully evaluated for biosecurity risks. That's it. So yeah, we got the green light to do gain of function again. So when they say, um, and that kind of shocked me to come across that because I thought we weren't allowed to do it here anymore, but apparently we are since 2017. And during this time, uh, let's see, even before then, they were playing with bat coronaviruses, 2014. Um, and they were playing with, uh, and I had it up here. I wish I wouldn't have uh, unhighlighted it, but we can take a look at this warning paper afterwards. They were playing with bird flu. Okay. The U S government is quietly funding controversial scientific research to create airborne versions of highly infectious diseases. And the results of experimental accident could be uh, catastrophic Two public health researchers write in this op-ed piece. And that was in the Washington post, believe it or not. And if we go through here, we'll see. And just like they said up here, one of the things that caught my attention, which I was looking when i found this article my thought was is this supposed covid thing that's going around is it really a bat virus um or is it like a bird flu you know that's where i looked at it and whenever i came across this thing that my mom talked to me about i remembered this and i went back and pulled it and right about that time was the time we started having this really nasty bird flu problem not just the normal bird flu but this h5n5 thing which is the one that's persistent. Now, this bird flu outbreak we have this year, which the media isn't talking about because of Israel, you know, and Ukraine and ongoing problems with China and Iran, um, you're not hearing about it. But this is actually like very much like COVID where we had a really nasty thing last year. It kind of came to a head and then it never quite went away. And now it's bleeding over into this year. And that's going to push a long-term, let's call it long bird flu. Okay, let's call it that. And it's going to push a need for vaccines, which they're already working on four different vaccines to put it into our food. And of course, of course, they'll claim it's safe. You know, you can inject these birds and sell them two days later and they'll be safe to eat. But we don't know that. You know, there was obviously a concern in the past that we were not vaccinating our birds up to this point because other countries wouldn't buy them. They had a concern with. It. But you got to have the right emergency to, to then push the solution. You know what I'm saying? What are your thoughts on all that, man? That's that's well, one of the things that concerns me about even tying things like that to an emergency. Remember, the director of the CDC recently came out and said that their EUAs, their emergency use authorizations, can be independent of an emergency, which flies in the face of it's not an emergency use authorization. Then, if there's no emergency, but yeah, yeah that animals, it's it's a lot easier with animals. You know, mm -hmm. I know we've got the FDA, um, you know, the USDA, the FDA, we got all these 
agencies that, that deal with different types of food and stuff, but they're all bought and paid for. You know, I mean, look at you can't sell whole milk. You know, you can't I can't just sell eggs on the street. You know, I mean, some people do some places you can't whatever. But my real concern to throw a wild card in the mix is this. And maybe you can uh, I'll let you talk since I've been yapping my gums. Uh, tell tell us about this. You might have been the one that brought this to my attention, by the way. This is the P Pandemic Prevention Preparedness and Response Accord. Okay, so this is um, what the WHO is now calling. It's basically synonymous with a pandemic treaty, but they're avoiding the word treaty because it brings with it a lot of legal responsibilities. So they've renamed it this Pandemic Prevention Preparedness and Response Accord. Um, and from what I understand, one of the big things this does is forces every participating nation um, to speed up their response to any kind of declared pandemic or health emergency. And, the, and it also gives the WHO the complete authority to be the um, organization that declares the emergency. So it's really just a declaration, um, just words, but it makes it legally binding. Um, and, and really, and really the only way we're supposed to, each nation has the opportunity to opt out by December 1st of this year. So we're coming up well, a couple weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't think we've opted out. No, so. as far as I know, we haven't. No, we don't plan on it. There's only been a couple, a couple countries of, of all of them that have opted out. And another thing about that is uh, I don't remember the time period, how many months it was that you had to opt out of these type of accords or whatever. Um, if you're part of this group, but they, yeah. shortened it. they significantly yeah, they shortened, shortened it. it. They shortened it by a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Several months. So a lot of countries probably don't realize that. Now, I guess you could just say, go screw yourself because we don't want to do it. But then, you know, is there financial things involved? You know, how, how binding is it? But one of the things that it does, and this is why I'm trying to, to look at this, because I know this is supposed to be for you know human pandemics, but it gives them the latitude to change definitions. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, the drug pandemic, the, the gun violence pandemic, the bird flu pandemic, you know, even though with this bird flu and we probably won't have time to it, but um, I was this, was it uh, African swine flu that, that there's not a single case of it in any pig here in the U S but it's now a concern and they're looking at vaccines, you know, it's not even here, but they could say, well, it's a threat. They can define it as a pandemic and then start making us jab our pigs with stuff that that's not even here in the U S put it into our meat and, and it has, it's legally binding. You know, that's uh, it's really scary. If, when you tie all these things together, the timing is just uncanny how it's um, I don't know. You're going to have a handful of people deciding what goes in our food. Um, you know, the the uh, oh, we're going to run out of time. I wanted to address Karen's question. I want to get too out, out of that. I'm just I just thought that was important that we know that, you know, farmers are not going to have a choice at some point, mm -hmm. especially backyard farmers, which were. I was told today by one of the, the folks I was talking to that the bird flu, before it was as bad as it is now, they were trying to push the blame on backyard farmers as what was propagating it. So that's another aspect to look at is are they going to demonize any kind of like independence you have of growing your own food? 
is if I grow my own food, I don't have to inject them. Right. And then yeah. I, I'm forced to go to these big box, you know, chicken growers to get my chicken. And the other thing is, you know, supply and demand. Um, they, they were wanting to know, or I think it was Karen asked what happens to the birds. Well, first I'll talk about the financial side of it. So part of the report I did uh, back in February to, to kind of call BS on the whole thing was that you got one positive case, the, the grower or the farm, whatever you want to call it, they had multiple farms, but in this one particular farm was like 6 million birds they killed off. Now they got paid for all of those birds. The, you only get paid if the bird is still alive when they come to call them. If the bird has already died, you don't get paid. That's coming straight from my mom. She's going through this right now in her little homestead. So yeah, of course, when all the birds are still alive, kill them all. That's easy money. They fired or laid off 90% of their staff. So now I don't have, you know, as much overhead. I don't have to deal with feeding these birds for a while. I don't have to deal with uh, packaging them up, sending them off to the slaughterhouse. It's, it's free. All I got to do is spray the place down with Clorox and water. And that's what my 10% of the staff um, are here to do that I kept on. They're making tons of money and not having to push out any product. And then let's say I own three of these farms. Two of them get the, the culling. And I got paid a whole bunch of money and reduced my overhead by a ton. Well, that third one now gets to sell their product for more because there's a shortage. So they're making a heavier profit on the one that they didn't call. Um, to me, that just, you know, what is it? I wrote it down here. I question anything that deals with government agencies, large consolidated companies, and government payouts. Those are the three things I question the most. Uh, it's just riddled with corruption, fraud, waste, and abuse. So I was uh, one of the things I talked about when it comes to turkey farms, I told my uh, buddy that lives down here, Travis, I said, you know, this always seems to happen right before the holidays. And he says to me, and he's right. He says, you realize those birds in the store were packaged up weeks ago. And I was like, yeah, that's right. Well, then how come there's still millions of these turkeys out there if they have no one to sell them to? And it occurred to me, this is really convenient for them. They can grow a whole bunch of turkeys pick out the fattest ones, sell them for the most money. What do you do with the rest of the turkeys that nobody's going to buy? Because people pretty much only make turkey at Thanksgiving and Christmas. So now I got all these millions of birds that I don't know what to do with. I don't want to keep paying to feed them. I don't want to deal with the hassle of now I've got to kill them and do something with the bodies. Wow, it'd be great if I had a pandemic coming here and the government pay for all these birds. And then you start over for the next year. So I could definitely see that. I'm not saying they're doing that. I'm saying I could see that happening where they're just going to raise a massive amounts of birds that they can't possibly sell on the open market because nobody's nobody cooks a turkey in the middle of July. It just doesn't happen. Right. I mean, some people maybe, but um, yeah, good luck. I, I remember one time I actually wanted turkey and we couldn't find one in the store because it was off season. So I don't know. What's your thoughts on that, on that whole money scam? <clears throat> Sorry. It's, um, no, it's perfect. We were talking about that earlier. Again, you know, it encourages the early reporting. You know, if you've got one or two birds that drop dead, which, hey, I've had a couple quail out here drop dead. You know, I just bury them. There's, um, you know, that that's just what happens. But the rest of them are fine. Um, so, yeah, if you have birds, anybody, uh, check chat, I'm sure anybody in chat that has birds, occasionally one just drops dead. Hey, it's, it's common. Um, they don't live long anyway, but, um, 
But yeah, it's a great way to encourage uh, farmers to report early if they know they're not going to get the money for the dead bird. So their whole flock disappears. They get a break for the winter. They get extra money. It's great. Yeah, for the small farmer, it's not that that great because you're basically no. starting over from scratch. And you're talking about, um, I guess it depends on how many birds you have, what your business is. You know, my mom, they do eggs and stuff. So now I'm talking like egg a, layers. I'm talking like the big commercials. Like yeah, the yeah, that's, that's great for them, especially if your job is just to raise it and sell it for meat if they're not egg layers. Um, that's great. But um, and let me address the, the last thing so with the dead bodies. Okay, this is what I found interesting, and I got a little clarification from my mom because she asked the same questions from this vet that came out, um, and then whoever she talked to from uh, probably the FDA. Well, they have a state rep, or and then they have a county rep, but I think they probably work for the FDA or, or one arm of it. But in my early reporting, what I'd found out, it's like, what do they do with all these dead bodies? Well, they get rid of them one of two ways. They either bury them, or they uh, pile them in a barn or some kind of a sealed, you know, sealed area, something that vermin can't get into and stuff. And they let them rot and they basically turn them into mulch, not mulch. What do you call it? Compost. So they'll mix it with some other stuff and they'll take these birds. Now, in researching, you know, because I researched uh, before how this how this pathogen gets, you know, travels from bird to bird. It's not like they, you know, have sex or kiss. You know, it's not like they, they get th that way. What what it's uh what it said was like birds will be digging around in the dirt, um the dirt is infected, you know. And if uh if my survey buddies heard me now saying the word dirt because we have to refer to it as soil, but anyway <laughs> I'm gonna call it dirt because I'm no longer a surveyor. Uh, but they dig around in the dirt and then that's how they get the disease, and then they'll fly around and then they'll poop, and the poop gets on the dirt. The dirt mm -hmm. gets infected and then another bird gets infected. So it's not really bird to bird. It's more like the territory of the ground. That's how, at least from my understanding, from all the research I did, that's how they say it spreads, which brought into question, how do all these birds that are in enclosed area, uh, you know, how does a bird get in there to poop on the ground? Like a wild bird that's car a carrier. You know, that's always boggled my mind. But going back to the disposal methods, if this is transferred this way, why are we going to, number one, either bury them in the dirt, right? Or number two, turn them into, uh, you know, compost and then spread it on the dirt. Yeah, fertilizer. That's, that's what I was just wondering. Compost, that's yeah. the whole purpose is <laughs> to spread yeah, it. Yeah, well, what my, mom, what my mom had told me, because she asked the same questions. She's like, isn't that kind of like perpetuating the problem? So we're going to have the same problem next year. And the, the veterinarian had told her, no, well, when you bury it, uh, they freeze and the, the cold kills the kills the virus. And I'm thinking to myself, not really, because if you know about construction and you know about there, there are areas under the ground so far that do not freeze. There's a frost layer and then below that it never freezes. Mm -hmm. So depending on how far you bury it, it may not get cold enough to freeze. And then right. what if you have a mild winter? And then the compost thing, they said, well, the compost gets hot as it's composting, you know, it gets hot and it gets hot enough to kill the virus. Well, does it though? Does the entire pile get that hot? No, you got your outer layers that stay right. fairly room temperature. Well, one thing they're not allowed to do, which makes the most sense of all. And I asked mom about this and she said, she asked about this is why don't they just burn them, burn them and get rid of it. Well, they're not allowed to burn them. 
so and that and she says that most likely comes down to the uh what is it the not the fda the the epa because you know you got say you got six million birds you had to get rid of that's a lot of smoke in the air but they, they're not allowed to burn them which would be the that would make the most sense if you wanted to eradicate this thing burn the birds but they're not allowed uh, to do it listen so, they, they have portable incinerators that's that's not an issue yeah, yeah i know so i don't know that that was that seemed kind of questionable to me it's like they almost don't want the problem to go away there's too much and i don't think the big farmers want the problem to go away either because they're going to make money even if they're not hit it's going to cause the demand to go up and they're going to get paid more for their product you know so it's a win-win for the big guys it's kind of a lose for the little guys when they come out to your farm and it was one of those things where my mom had said that they were they had to report it there was a warning issued in their county and uh they were told what number to call and they had some birds die and they, they she said basically they turn blue um you know their skin will turn blue and then they'll get some discharge out of their beak and stuff and then they'll just keel over dead like in a very quick period of time so what they're doing is basically it's a respiratory illness right um they're drowning on their own fluids and suffocating that's that's what happens so yeah they do die rather quickly once they hit that stage um but i don't know it just seems to me like a problem that may have been human caused just by the way that it doesn't follow the natural curve um, the timing of when gain of function was done on this kind of stuff and uh, and the fact that they don't really seem to be I mean, I think the people that work in the industry uh, that, that are out there doing their little piece probably want to see this thing eradicated. But I don't think that the people up higher really care to see it eradicated, if you know what I mean. It's, it's a it's a great way to push a vaccine. It's a great way to play numbers games with businesses, you know, uh, Tyson or whoever is raising these. I don't think Tyson actually raises chickens, do they? they just process them, right? There's other companies that do the the raising, but there's a lot of yeah, money. Being made. Yeah, we've got um, Wayne Poultry Farms up here in North Georgia. They're huge. And I've seen even going to Panama City Beach for vacation. I even saw poultry trucks with um, placards on the back advertising for Wayne Farms in Gainesville or yeah. um, Pendergrass or wherever they're at. They're up here in North Georgia someplace. I remember driving down to Georgia to there and back several times. There was one place we don't go through Atlanta because we don't like the traffic. We we take a rural route. We miss all the big cities. And there's one place we always went through that had some kind of big ads, something about uh, something in the soil from the chicken farming that they had brought in. And they were trying to get rid of the chicken. I mean, it's good jobs for them. But I remember that was a big deal. So neither here nor there. I don't know where mm -hmm. that's going. <laughs> But anyway, we, we've gone our hour. I didn't think we would get through all that. I thought it would uh, get way off topic. Um, let me see if there's anything else. Well, I think I want I do want to give a shout out again. Let me do this. Um, my friend Travis, I've worked with this guy here at Fort Leonard Wood, and then we both went our different ways. Um, and he wound up stationed here again as a drill sergeant, I believe. And I think he's a sergeant first class now. And he... He sends PCS somewhere, but he still has the farm down here and it's within driving distance. And I don't know if he's back down here or not. I haven't been down there to see him recently, but uh, really cool channel. If you're interested in, in farming and, and homesteading, really cool, super cool guy. I got to shoot his grandfather's service M1 and and his M, uh, what is it? Uh, the 45, the 1911. 
both service weapons from World War II. I got to shoot both of them, the legit wow. things. Yeah, and then this guy, I, I'm going to pick his brain. Um, Tiger introduced me or told me who he was. Uh, thank you, Angry Tiger, the guy. Me and him were talking quite a bit back and forth this morning, and he knew who I was, so I guess he's a, a fan of David, so he knew who I was, so it was pretty easy. And then before we go, this guy right here, Wise Wolf, wolfpack.gold. I got my package today, and I want to open it live on air. And you have yours from last month, right? Why don't we do yours first? Go ahead, Handy. What did you get? This is your last month? Oh. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I was uh, yeah. I was actually thanking Geesebusters for a tip there in chat. Oh, oh, thank you, Geesebusters. I just saw that. Thank you. Twenty dollars. Yeah. He said, "Good show." Thank you. Sorry, I didn't get to finish typing before Jason no. tapped me. But uh, let's see. So, so last, so month, you're in real quick, uh, yeah, yeah. so people can know what they're what they're paying for and getting. So you're in at this uh, Lone Wolf, which is fifty dollars a month. Correct. And and what Tony does is he'll take everybody's money from all these tiers. He pools the money together and makes big purchases so he gets better prices per unit. And then he breaks those down and then sends out based off your tier. Uh, so you're getting basically if you bought the same exact thing for the $50, you if you bought it all by yourself online at the cheapest place you could find, you're going to pay more than what you just paid with Tony. So it's kind of a little savings program. So let's see. You got the fifty dollars a month. What did you get here? Oh, and he Correct. sends a price comparison, by the way. So, so that's what I'm holding up here. Is yeah. I don't know if you guys can even read it, but up here is going to be the the invoice what I got charged. But right down here, he puts what I would have been charged elsewhere. And, and you can and verify actually, that. You can. I've actually went and and, and tracked it down. He's he's correct. It's it's legit. Um, but yeah. last month I got uh, he sent me two. Of these 1964 half dollars, which what are they? 90% silver, Jason? Yeah, they're they're 90%. Yeah. Okay. And then in this little sleeve on the $50 tier, I got uh hold on. I got these little Indian head. I don't know, Jason. You may be able to hold yours up if you got it handy. Yeah, I can't I got, zoom in. Uh, I think I got some in this month. So if I got them, I got some from last month. Uh I think it's the first time I got those. They're pretty cool. Okay. They're, yeah, uh, they're, are they one-tenth or are those the or is that the one half? That is the one-tenth, and it is that, it those looks are like pure 100%. silver. Yeah, those yep. are 100 percent 999 fine silver. Correct. So I got three of those, and then also three of these little uh mercury head dimes. Um from those are beautiful, aren't they? Those are 90 yeah. percent. Yep. So um, that's what came last month. So I got went ahead and I cut it open already, but I'm just just because these packages are sealed up really well. So I went ahead and scissored them already. And now I'm in at the uh, I was on the Lone Wolf for a while. But when I moved, I didn't update my billing information with them. So I, I lapsed one month. So the next month I just bumped it up to the 125. And so this is what I, and I've been getting gold every month since. So that's pretty cool. Um, so let's see what I got. Got my invoice here. Looks like he sent me ooh, a one gram gold bar again. I uh, got one of those, one half ounce silver buffalo. I don't not I don't own any of those yet, so that's going to be kind of cool. Got one of those, one tenth ounce silver round Indian head. I got two of those, and then two silver dimes, two of those, and those were free. He didn't charge me for those. Um, 
125 if I had bought it, and that's including the shipping. 125 total if I had bought this stuff online, uh, I would have paid 142 dollars. So it's it's at least it's a way to beat the shipping cost, if anything, you know. Let's yeah, so I don't have any of my other ones handy, but you know, this one was my charge was 50. The the charge, the comparison was 59.34. However, that was one of the smallest margins I've got them usually 65 plus. That is cool. Mm -hmm. I do not have one of these half half ounce buffaloes. That's really cool. But anyway, I know that was a long plug, but I was excited. I'm always excited to get my wolf pack. Um and I guess that's that's it for today. I do want to talk about Angry Tiger. Angry Tiger show his Tiger and Snake financial report moved to Sunday nights, same time, but Sunday nights, which is 8 p.m. Eastern. Uh, so he's still on. If you don't see him on Friday, he's on Sunday. And uh, and then he has on, hit me up in the chat. Which day is it you have your Tiger Tales now on freeworld.fm? We'll get that. It's a little bit delay. I'm going to bring up freeworld.fm right now. That's another thing which... Oh man, I think I was supposed to be on there tonight, but I'm still having tech issues. This is something new, Free World FM. It's a radio station. Uh, Audi does the music. This is more of talk. Um, 24-7, Tiger's on there. I'm going to be on there. Chris Graves is going to be on there. David Knight's going to be on there. So there is a schedule. There is still a work in progress. It's live, but they're still working on filling out the schedules. So you can go here and see what's on what days. Uh, I don't think Tiger's on here yet, but he is live right now. There it is. He's on here. Tiger Tales. It's not 8 a.m. though. I don't think that time is right. It's in the evening. But anyway, uh, I don't see him putting it in there. Maybe he he's stepped away. But anyway, that's really good. That's kind of a more uh, chilled, laid back, not so much serious about money and stuff like that. I, I really enjoy it. But anyway, we're we're a little bit over. Um, all right, Chris Graves says Saturday at 8 p.m. That's what I thought, Saturday 8 p.m. All right, so he's on Saturday 8 p.m. on Free World and then Sunday 8 p.m. Uh, on his regular Rumble channels. So, And then, Andy, you've got a sub stack. Why don't you tell us about that? <clears throat> All right, guys. So um, the the short story behind the sub stack is um, after uh, two about two and a half years of this pandemic nonsense, um, I really started thinking I should have kept a journal. And uh, was lamenting that a little bit. And then I realized I've been sending David regular weekly updates just about. So I went back through my sent emails, compiled them into a sub stack. So, um, so anyone that's curious wants to see what I saw firsthand all the way from late 2020 till present. I still update it. Um, when I see anything significant, I try to update it. Uh, right now, it's a little... Now, I haven't updated lately. Um, you know, we've kind of entered this, uh, I don't know, I don't want to say endemic stage of the vaccine. It's, it's, we're not seeing, I'm seeing more chronically ill people. That That's what I'm seeing. And that's harder to tie back. It's a lot of speculation. You know, I suspect, you know, what they're dealing with started after their, uh, you know, with the shot. It definitely started after the shot. You know, so um, the problem is what I've found is most doctors, just tell them that it's just one of those things that happens, you know, Parkinson's, it just happens. You know, it doesn't matter that you just got it two months after your booster. Yeah, you know, it just happens. 
Did, so, did you know teenagers have always had heart attacks? Yeah, seventeen-year-olds yeah. dropping dead playing flag football—that just happens. I, I had to get an EKG before I, you know, wrestled in high school. Didn't you? <laughs> you know, man, that—that's new. That is totally yeah. new. Yeah, that's crazy. But anyway, so anyway, you can go on. Yeah, you can go on my Substack. See everything that's happened from then till current. Um, it's ihandy.substack.com, and um, you're free to. You know, message me there if you like. You know, I'm, you know, I would encourage anybody out there that wants to uh, have a voice. You know, I know I'm taking a little bit of a risk, you know, being a voice out there. But if you want a voice and you want to stay anonymous, message me there. You know, I'll, I'll do my best to uh, keep you anonymous and, and put your story out. Excellent. And I, I apologize. I was going to bring up Knights of the Storm website and show the link. And I just realized I don't have a link for you for your Substack. So I will add that if that's okay with you. Yeah, go for it. Okay, cool. I, I thought I had you in there, but I guess I, I don't. So apologize for that. But anyway, uh, I guess that's all we got for tonight. I want to thank everybody for being in the chat. Remember, check out Chris. Uh, Chris Graves, he's got a new Rumble channel. Make sure it's Chris's Rumble channel. Um, check out Angry Tiger on Rumble. I think he's going to be bye-bye off of uh, YouTube soon because you know he doesn't play ball with them. So good, good on him for standing his ground. And then uh, check out Modern Retro Radio. And if I'm missing anybody here, and thank you again, Geesebusters, for the tip. That's really cool. Um, but I guess we'll go ahead and get out of here. So I guess that does it for tonight. Remember to hold your ground, watch the enemy, improve the foxhole, and always look out for one another. Until next time. You've been watching the foxhole with Jason Barker.